Hello, welcome to Domina Eva After Dark. This is episode number 11 and probably one of the last ones of the 2022 year. So here we go. Tonight's topic is surrounding gender differences. And we're going to roll that into introducing BDSM to your partner or significant other partner, whatever. Um, This tends to be somewhat of an issue from my observation. And uh, it doesn't have to be. Okay, so um, let's dive in on how to broach BDSM. No, no, let's start with gender differences actually first. Okay, so I've had the cool, I've had like this job allows me to gain some insight that I would have not otherwise gained. Um, gain some insight that most humans are not privy to in the capacity of, obviously, uh, fetish, desires, um, inner workings of, of our brains, uh, and in a more relaxed environment than, you know, in a, in a professional, let's say therapeutic environment, uh, with, um, a psychiatrist, psychologist, uh, whatever you call it. Um, the setup that I have is therapy, but it's a much more relaxed environment with with uh, with far less um, judgment or perceived judgment for sure, far less judgment actually. Um, and so it allows me to see people in a very, very vulnerable way, because that's exactly what this is. That's the whole setup of what this is. Submissive, you serve me. I'm the dominant, right? So um, yeah, I've been privy to a lot of information over the years that um, most people are not able to see. Um, And so let's start with the differences between men and women and uh then we'll roll that into introducing bdsm to your partner so i would say from my observation and from the hundreds of men that i've talked to uh if i feed them this information which i'm about to say they will be in agreement 100 percent of the time um Men, and many of you listening to my podcast are men, over half for sure, Uh, you guys are more literal, you're more simple, you're simple creatures, aren't you? You're simple, and when, you know, we say you're going to go golfing or go get your haircut, that's exactly what the fuck you're going to go do, or when you say you're going out with the boys, uh, that's what you're going to do. Um, and, uh, women, it's far more complicated. (laughs) Maybe all this is obvious and maybe it's not, but we're going to have to do some of this, this dumbing down at first, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty. So women, um, 
you know, a lot of what we say, or I don't even want to group myself into this, but a lot of what women say is coded and complex and, uh, you know, um, information sort of has to be dissected. Uh, women are far more sensitive and for good reason. So you add all that into the mix with women and things can get quite disastrous. So, um, you guys are going out, if you boys are going out with your boys, you guys are going out with your boys, and you come home really late, like at 4 a.m., you know, you said you were going to go out, you went out, right? Um, sometimes women will not say anything initially, right? They'll just hold it all inside, and and it will create contempt, and then they'll lash out at you. In the future. And a big reason for this, though, is women are taught from a very young age to be the nice girl. Shut up. You know, be the nice girl. Don't complain. Don't bitch. And so even if women aren't fed those exact words, uh, the, <laughs> the information is there. So, uh, you know, women are trained from a young age just not to speak up for themselves. And so that's not a good thing at all, like at all, because that creates uh, contempt. I mean, how many times have you guys gone out, came home too late, then you hear about it a month later or for months, and it's not like you did anything wrong. Um, I guess you happened to come home too late. Like, but those, but there was no curfew put on <laughs> and there should never be a curfew put on another adult unless that person is a prisoner and you shouldn't be a prisoner in your own relationship uh that is for sure <laughs> so um you guys like we all need to i think we all need to communicate better like i know that i know that for sure um yeah, we all need to definitely communicate. Women need to communicate, you know, what, what their expectations are. And and people need to get down into the nitty-gritty of what expectations are in the relationship. And it's not always easy. Like, it can be quite difficult. Like, what? In a healthy relationship, I think that is quite evolved. Uh, discussions take place. Uh, or can take place about like everything uh, that is necessary in order to sustain a real connection. Like sometimes conversations can be uncomfortable, right? But conversations in a healthy relationship need to be had. Uh, like how many times a week should you have sex? I mean, that should be a conversation between you and your partner, an agreement on like, hey, you know, you need to have sex three times a week. And it's, not comfortable, but if you want to sustain your relationship, these conversations need to be had. So you guys aren't left out in the dark, not knowing what's expected of you. And, 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 you know, women sort of becoming angry at you, uh, for not knowing what's expected of you. So these conversations need to be had. Um, in addition to how many times this a week you should have sex, we, the nitty gritty of like, who does the dishes? Who does the cleaning? Like, there needs to be agreements on this. Who does the cooking? And maybe even what is acceptable outside the relationship. Um, 
you know, uh, I believe that in a relationship, all this being said, that we should always maintain our own individual identity. So these conversations need to be had um, in order to sustain the relationship, in order to create like a safe, I hate this word, it's been overused lately, safe space, <laughs> safe home, like with, with, with less contempt or less anger. Um, but that being said, uh, I think it's really, really also, I think it's important that we maintain our own individual identity. Uh, you know, that in every partnership, you know, the woman and and the man or what or female and female what whatever have you whatever partnership you're in each individual should maintain their own identity they should go hang out with friends that is badly badly needed uh i find oftentimes men don't open up to women because they feel um like they don't want to open those floodgates uh oftentimes women women use their partner as a sounding board and they just talk and talk and talk and there's conversations a lot of dudes don't want to hear and I don't think that women really understand that so so strong friendships uh with your gender should be maintained outside of your relationship uh, for sure and passions as well so each person, yeah, should be their own individual, unique self. Um, and uh, that should be encouraged. Okay, so uh, there's this, there's this uh, iconic marriage. Uh, I think he's a psychologist. Anyway, he's iconic. Uh, his name's John Gottman. If you're not familiar with his work, um, he's written... Some relationship Bibles, basically. Um, let me see. I forgot the name right now of his his books, and I don't know why. Let's find out. John Gottman. So he wrote, uh, let's see. He's a psychologist, and uh, he uh, wrote The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work, and just like a zillion books he's he's really he's really iconic um psychologist so anyway he he uh made this prediction this is like i don't know 10 or 20 years ago maybe more um he was able to watch couples come in and um not them even themselves like just see uh clips of couples black and white video clips of couples uh, talking in therapy and with no audio. So you'd watch a video, a quick video, and he was able to predict within like over 80 degree accuracy as to whether or not a couple would stay together. Uh, and I forgot the other specifics of this study, but it was, was incredible. And uh, how he was able to predict whether or not a couple would thrive or a couple would uh, end in divorce. Uh, 
would be uh, an expression on their face because he wasn't able to hear audio. So he would just be looking at little short black and white clips with no audio um, of couples talking. And, and so the giveaway as to why, you know, for him, um, as to why a marriage or relationship might not work is, is the look of contempt on somebody's face. So it, it wasn't even them fighting or anything. In fact, fighting actually looked to be a really good thing. Uh, and so contempt is an emotion. Um, how do we describe it? Mm. Um, let's see. How do I describe contempt? <laughs> let's see. Um, a feeling which a person regards anything considered mean, vile, or worthless, disdain, or scorn. Yeah, it was the scorn um, on somebody's face. And, and oftentimes it was the females. Because females are more sensitive than males are, obviously. But that's for a good thing. Because we're, <laughs> women are tasked with birthing humans. So we need to invariably be more sensitive to other people in order to keep humans alive. So that's why we, that's why the women were built the way that we are. So um, we're more sensitive and, and, uh, and men should be aware of this, obviously, just to avoid contempt. Like, uh, so discussions should take place as to, um, as to when, you know, like when things come up, they should take place. Uh, women are definitely more auditory and men are definitely more visual. Um, so, yeah, women will like that. They will like those discussions. Uh, so communication, I would say, we've all heard this time and time again, is absolutely key in relationships, I find... Oftentimes, uh, lately, we haven't been big on communicating as a culture. Uh, we're so disconnected, and and uh, relationships can be difficult. And let's face it, a lot of people run from difficulty, right? We're in the we just have it too good lately in society. Um, Fewer and fewer people are getting married and having babies, committing to one another. And that's not a good thing. That's definitely not a good thing. You know, I find that it's it's common for someone to say, um, you know, uh, that they don't want to fight or they don't want to argue or... You know, there's too many red flags and a new partner and they have to move on. But nobody's perfect. Nobody is perfect. And so when you're looking at a potential spouse or partner and you're and you see that there are some things that you don't find necessarily attractive. I mean, it doesn't mean you should run the other way because let's face it, you're a piece of shit too. <laughs> Nobody's infallible. So 
while all of us, you know, while many of you rather are looking for perfection in a partner, well, you shouldn't because you should take a good hard look at yourself and you're far from perfect, but you expect that in somebody else. Like that's ridiculousness. This has to stop. Um, so if you like somebody, if you like somebody, maybe gut it out a little longer, right? I think people should. Um, it's been said that by experts that healthy, healthy, like healthy couples will fight at least 60% of the time. And those are hard facts, like hard stats. So at least, but a healthy couple will fight in a way that is productive, not mean and abusive. A healthy couple will have debates, maybe arguments. It's a good thing, right? It means you care. It's better than apathy. <laughs> People are sitting in a relationship and they just don't care. Don't give a shit. Well, eh, it's pretty bad. I think that's uh, a relationship that might not survive. So it's important to grit through these uncomfortable experiences, right? And whether that's in life, like exercising, um, getting through that workout, making yourself do something that you don't want to do, do that. Fucking do that even in your relationships. Do things that make you uncomfortable to grow. Stop being so fucking comfortable. And of course I'm going to say that. Because my name is Domina Ava Savage. And I like to implement <laughs> savagery on people. <laughs> so it knowing full well that I'm helping people to grow by way of BDSM. More on that in a minute, though. I just want to end uh, this differences between sexes conversation first um so i think that ultimately when um two people can grit it out you know through the thick and thin um through the uncomfortable times i, I think that there's something to be said about committing to your best friend and sticking it out through and through, coming out at the other end, really resilient. I think, I think that that is beautiful and it's not easy at times, but it requires both of you to be vulnerable, right? Without vulnerability, there's no connection. So that vulnerability is uh, of extreme importance when forming, when forming a deep connection. And, and so that's what I do. I'm able to truly see people because they come to me all vulnerable. Um, so oh, let's see. Okay, so last little anecdotal note on... Um, gender differences so that uh, I can sprinkle this knowledge and we can move forward into how to, again, move forward into how to um, 
broach the topic of BDSM with your partner, um, this will, what I'm talking about now, will dovetail nicely into that. So um, you guys all need to know, I'm going to circle back to what I said earlier about how women are more auditory, if you recall. Men are more visual. That could be the reason why many of you donkeys out there, you guys, send dick pics. Because <laughs> women are very much perplexed about this, this little dick pic talk. <laughs> like, why would a guy send a dick pic? Most women will get pretty turned off. There's some that don't, but most women are kind of confused by it. They really don't know what to think of it. Now, I understand the reason why you guys are sending dick pics. Because <laughs> what you're doing is you're visual creatures, right? So you get a nice, strong, hard on. You're proud of yourself, aren't you? And you want to show it off. Because looking at a picture of your own penis hard is arousing to you. <laughs> but guess what? She's likely not going to think so. Hmm? So I'm sure your modality may be something like, okay, I, I, I need to show her I'm turned on. She'll really like this. Maybe you're not thinking straight. Likely you're not thinking straight. It happens often um, <laughs> when people are aroused. Um, and uh, you want to show off. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, maybe she'll give me something back, right? Like maybe a, piss, a picture of her pussy or... This likely, invariably, you won't happen over 80% of the time, I'd say. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but if a woman was to send a picture of her pussy, I mean, that would drive guys mental. Mental. Wouldn't it? No. But just don't do it because women will get turned off. Okay. If you want to turn a woman on, use your words. Do not send a dick pic that will not arouse her. Typically turn her off, but turn you on. If you want to turn her on, talk to her about her, your inner state of yourself. Be vulnerable. Talk about how you're feeling. And it might not be easy at first, but it's very, very necessary. So, uh, now that, uh, now, like, if you just talk about, like, hey, you know, I'm feeling aroused right now, really, you know, and compliment her and let her know um, that you're aroused by her, right? That would turn her on a lot. Um, I know most women don't watch porn to <laughs> to get aroused. Like, like if I if I'm not aroused and I'm watching pornography, it does nothing for me. I mean, nothing. <laughs> uh, but you men can watch pornography and not already be turned on, and then get turned on, right? Um, we operate on two completely different manuals, it seems, a lot of the time. And uh, <laughs> and in fact, 
And I'll say this, most women don't even need porn. That's how, like, that's how much we're not, like, obsessed with the visual. Most women don't need porn to get off or aroused. Uh, I know me personally, if I'm watching porn, if I am aroused, um, if I need to finish, <laughs> I'll turn the porn off <laughs> and I'll do a memory recall. <laughs> Because that to me is more arousing. I mean, women are more inclined to, you know, masturbate to books. <laughs> they were in the past anyway. They definitely were in the past. Um, or memory. Whereas this is like probably almost unconscionable for a man. Uh, because men are more visual. So, uh, again... I'm going to double click on the fact that you guys need to be able to communicate better. Women like that shit. And furthermore, studies have found that being able to communicate your sexual preferences with your partner can lead to better sex, healthier, healthier communications. Um, so... When you're inter so when you're inter let's get into the like introducing BDSM to your partner part in case you already haven't figured that out. So uh if you have a fetish and you want to share this with your significant other, it is scary, of course it's scary. Um, but there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. Okay, so like ease into it. Don't just surprise her. If you're a guy with a fetish, don't just surprise your wife with a bunch of equipment. <laughs> like one night or whatever, like come out in a gimp suit and she doesn't know you're a gimp. You know, ease into it. Have a conversation like, you know, in private, but like in a, not in the bedroom. You know, maybe like at dinner. Um... You know, broach the topic of your fetish. Just softly ask your partner how they feel about it. Ask them questions. Ease into it. Maybe show them pictures of what turns you on. Let them know that you're being vulnerable. That you'd like to explore and experience things with them. It's pretty important. For those of you who don't have a partner, who, uh, who could, you might be scary to broach the topic of your fetish with, but are looking for one, looking for a partner, a fetishist, a fellow fetishist, well, there's ways to meet other people who are into fetish, uh, who might have dating potential. And, you know, like, there's there's little groups called munches. Munches. Isn't that cute? And so uh, it's pretty much just a hang with a bunch of fetish people. It's a talk. It's good to have a community. So if you're into fetish and you want to meet more fetishists, you know, maybe Google where some BDSM munches are around you in your city. And see if you can meet some you know, other people and 
it's important we create that we feel connected to one another as humans. I mean, that's the reason for, like, connection, connection is, like, basically the ground floor for happiness. So if you feel disenfranchised, disconnected, all of that, lonely, most people are feeling lonely, get out of your comfort zone. Go meet some people. You'll feel better. It's, I can't emphasize this enough. We all need to have friends. We all need to feel connected. That's the way humans are created. Get off your ass. Stop watching Netflix, playing video games. Get the fuck out there. Meet someone. So yeah, find a local BDSM munch. There's BDSM. I think there's Facebook groups. I know that there's BDSM dating apps. So yeah. Maybe you could find your potential fetish partner there. Who knows? Who knows? I've heard lots of horror stories, though, so going eyes open. Uh, are there any other tips I have for introducing fetish to your partner? Let's see. Because I, I did some reading about this to see if I could find anything that maybe I didn't know. And I think essentially I was just disappointed with what was out there uh, really disappointed with the articles I found um, let's see I think I think that uh, might be it aside from maybe like if your partner does start to warm up to fetish or your fetish obviously you know make sure you give them praise it's really important. Humans take very well to praise. And I think we lose sight of that. Um, I think women especially lose sight of that, to be honest with you. Because uh, you men are pretty, pretty simple, right? Like instructions, clear communication. You know, you want to be told you're doing a good job if you're doing a good job. And, uh, and so I think women lose sight of that. And it's, it's, it takes a lot of courage actually to even ask your significant other, especially if you're a male, um, be vulnerable enough to ask, like, listen, I would like you to tell me that you like certain things that I'm doing once in a while. Then we need to praise each other more. So, uh, you know, if, if, um, you introduce fetish to your relationship, uh, uh, I think that the person who's introducing it, though, should praise the newbie. Um, and like I said earlier, introduce them to it slowly. Um, and then I guess one other note. Um, when you do meet somebody who maybe isn't into your fetish or yeah, your kink. I think it might be a good modality to just be upfront right away. So you can avoid the build up before the kink disclosure conversation. So just be open and honest from the get go. And if they're not the one, that's fine. They're not the one, right? You know, it's better that way. 
Um, oh yeah, there's another forum, right? For uh, finding other fetishists who might be a partner. Uh, you can go to FetLife as well. I forgot to mention that. Um, it's a so- social media platform for kinksters if you're not already familiar with FetLife. So I didn't mention that when I was mentioning munches and Facebook groups and dating apps. So, okay, Godspeed, everybody. Thanks for joining me for yet another episode. If you uh, like to comment on anything or suggest anything, you know, for future episodes, um, make sure it's well thought out. Don't waste my time. My time is valuable. You can contact contact me. I'm on Domina Ava Savage on everything social including OnlyFans, um, Twitter, my website, DominaAvaSavage.com, yada, yada, yada. Okay, thanks for joining me. Bye. Hey, I'm back. Welcome back to Domina Ava After Dark. This is season two. Two, episode number uno, and uh, it's a new motherfucking year, bitches. Is everybody all excited? Me personally, I don't really fucking care. <laughs> new year, well, new year. Okay, what? What? Nothing changes unless we make it change, right? Unless I make it change. That makes shit change. Uh, including one of my collared slaves that's right here beside me. Today's episode is going to be a little embedded interview. We're going to talk about one of my favorite BDSM activities called CBT. And I'm not talking about cognitive behavioral therapy. No, I'm talking about something vastly different. It is a type of therapy, although most would render it otherwise. Um, It does have therapeutic aspects to it. CBT stands for cock and ball torture. And um, it doesn't have to be as serious as it sounds. So... Before we roll this into a discussion with my colored pup here, I want to brief you guys on what it is that this all encompasses. So this is a wide-ranging fetish activity that, you know, could be anything just as simple as a smack it to the nuts or to the dick. Or just uh, grabbing those nuts and yanking them down. And that feels pretty nice for most guys. Just a nice tug, right? On the nutsack. Or it could mean something, you know, a little bit more heavy. Like getting out like a baking rolling pin and rolling over either the cock or the balls or both on a table. I find that to be funny. Or we could adventure down to whips and chains and weights and all that other stuff. Um, 
And I will say that this is all play. It's all play. What I do is play. It's actually what it is. We're playing. And um, the sooner that we get the idea that kink is nasty out of our heads, the better, right? And we are becoming more accepting as a society as a whole, which is a very good thing Um, by most people's metrics. You know, less shame is good for everybody, right? So on that note, let's talk to my collared pup. Okay, dog. How long have I owned you for? How many years? It's been a while, huh? Uh, I think it's been just over a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah. a couple of years. And uh, wouldn't you say I'm the best of all owners? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's such a silly question. You better say yes. <laughs> Um, okay, so tell me where your fetish, for real though, tell me where your fetish began. Um, uh, my fetish probably began when I was young, probably in my early teen years that I kind of figured out that uh, I liked a lot of the fetish uh, sort of stuff uh, being done. Uh, mainly coming out of looking at magazines in those days, no internet or anything to see, um, just sort of kind of piqued my interest and then, yeah, from there it kind of grew into where it is today. Mm. Um, yeah, so early early teens, I would say. Was there a significant experience that happened when you were younger that, was, you know, maybe a girl kicked you in the nuts or a guy, you know, accidentally hit you in the nuts and you, you felt like this exhilaration, like this rush, um, followed by, you know, uh, sort of an enjoyable feeling? Was there, you know, one experience that you can memory recall that happened or was it a gradual thing? Um, for me, I think it was more of just a gradual thing coming through. There's no one sort of instant that I can think of that it says, oh, well, yeah, that felt good or whatever. It was more of a gradual mind thing for me that, that and um, that kind of led me towards the fetishes that uh, I have today, right? CBT and a lot of other interests as well, but we'll get into that later. For sure, yeah. And so what does... <sighs> What does CBT provide for you? Like, after a session, how do you feel? Tell me, take me through, like, the feelings of how you feel. Like, maybe before and during and after, if you could. Um, Just the anticipation factor and uh, sort of the release of anxiety and whatever else you want to share. Like, how? what's it like before a session? Yeah, I think... um the anticipation, the anxiousness, the build-up to the session is kind of uh, an interesting dynamic as well, uh, for me. Like it's 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 building up to kind of more of a more of a release, right? Um, and anticipation through the session, and the, and and the uh, kind of excitement and endorphins you're going to receive by the end of it. It kind of like, that kind of builds up, like into if that makes sense. It does. And what do you mean by release? Um, more for me, more of like it helps to clear my mind and, and, and that. And then by the I mean, while the, my, my mind is kind of very, very, very active. So like the build up is very intense, very like that because your mind's all over the place. What's going to happen? Then you end up in session <clears throat> and then you can only concentrate sort of on, on one thing. So you kind of get mind clarity 
So at the end of it, you you feel a lot less anxious. You feel more in control at more in control to a certain degree. Um, clear mind and just a lot more relaxed. Yeah. 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 yeah so we're very clear. Again, in this instance, in most instances, people are not allowed to come. <laughs> um, I do not run a tug shop. <laughs> so anyway, um, because there are so many dominatrixes out there who are doing it all wrong. Um, they think that's uh, what this is. And it's, it's not. I work in fetish. So that's not something that... Uh, it's 80% psychology, right? So you've got to be here. I've said it in other episodes. Let's say it again. You cannot be a dumb-dumb and be a dominatrix at the same time. It's uh, an improbability. <laughs> Impossibility. Um, so so I like to uh, just to, you know, um, circle back to what my pup was saying about about uh, feeling more relaxed and uh, the release of anxiety. Uh, I often liken um, a BDSM scene, a fetish scene, to a meditation. Because when I'm engaged in BDSM with my slaves, they are right here, right now, in this moment, not thinking about anything else. Uh, really, nothing brings you into the moment like pain. Nothing. I mean, nothing. And uh, so when I'm administering pain on somebody, they're right here, right now, with me, in, engaged in a, in a really true connection. And uh, we connect through, through the pain that I, that I uh, implicate onto my subs. Okay, so, it's, so let's go back to your fetish. It started with CBT and then... That would still be your mainstay, but where did it sort of trajectory off to? Um, do you remember, or did it just over the years just like naturally roll over into a plethora of fetishes? Um, for me, it was actually it was kind of more the other way around. Um, okay, I would. I was more into sort of the excitement and and the stuff that pain sort of caused. So like any sort of infliction of pain, whether that was through nipple torture or through just inflicting pain on the body or something like that, which then which then really just with through experimentation and stuff it led me through into the C B T, which then that kind of became my main thing. Oh okay. Um I think because of the sensitive areas obviously of uh, the cock and balls and stuff, it's more the pain tolerance there and pain threshold there's are a lot higher, so you get more of a rush than through kind of other areas. That's kind of what I what I found. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where it led me towards CBT. Um, and looking into the whole world of fetishes is, is from there. I mean, there's, there's so many dynamics to it. Um, and it kind of all just really excites me to a certain degree, right? Yeah, it's endless. Yeah. It's endless. I mean, you and I have had, oh, days and days of sessioning. 
I never ran out of ideas. It is forever. Like, it's just endless what you can do. Um, yeah, with a creative and um, fetishy, filthy mind. <laughs> and again, I, we, should, we should take the stigma out of fetish, but it's a, for f- filthy in my world is, is um, a compliment. <laughs> um, so with... The, with regards to your specific types of fetishes, so it started with nipples and then it led to CBT. Um, you found like wax play along the way and needle play and all of that stuff, um, whether it be before or after. And um, would you say like out of all of these inflictions, like you said CBT is still like your personal fave because of the androgynous sensitive area that it's operating within? Yeah, and yeah, CBT is definitely still there. Then I think the biggest, biggest thing for me is the the progression. You always sooner or later, because of what it is, you become used to an activity. And for me, it was always the pleasure of the torture and the pain. So once you become desensitized in a kind of a certain area, you're looking for it's almost like a drug. Mm. So it's almost like a drug. You're looking for your next kick, your next upper, your next high to to bring you back to kind of reality to get that feeling again. So these are certain thing like it becomes a certain time. Like if you, for example, if you're squeezing your nipple, and sooner or later you, you can squeeze it as really as hard as you want, and sometimes it's not really going to work, right? And to kind of get you into the headspace that you want to go. So those type of things kind of develop for me from there. Um, and that's kind of why we've ended up probably on CBT and it can get quite harsh with, with us too within that area too. Um, I know some people don't like it like that. Some people do. So yeah. it, it, there's a lot of variety you can do, as you already mentioned. But I, the, I think the, the CBT is a place that, that I enjoy and that I found because you of the sensitive area. So it's very hard to kind of... I think to really desensitize that area to an extreme that you don't really experience a high. How insightful. How insightful and poignantly said. That was, yeah, very poignantly said in a way that was easily able to be understood by myself and it gave me pause. So thanks for that. I think that also when we maybe combine the element of of all of this with like sensory deprivation when we blindfold you and tie you up and then and torture you that way that element of surprise and not knowing what's coming that added element of anticipation and arousal i think that's why we sort of turn to that quite often i also like it myself because you <coughs> you can't very well brace yourself for impact <laughs> in a scene so um so one of the things that i like to do like i said with you is is blindfold you and tie you down um would you say you enjoy that as much as me or you just do that for me no i mean we've been doing that um we've kind of progressed more into that and that's Mm -hmm. great that's the areas that we've kind of been exploring more in and it's kind of my interest as well to move forward and explore more interests in Mm-hmm. For sure, and what you're saying there, that definitely helps heighten the anticipation and gives you a good um, vibe, if that's the right word, in a session. 
because you get that anticipation, but the also you, um, is the anticipation, and then you get the high from whatever activity we are doing at that time, and wherever you strike happens or whatever. So as you said, you can't brace for it. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know all of that. So that is uh, another way that um, you can get to what you want to kind of experience later on, right? Right, right. Um, for sure. Um, the blindfolding is really good too. I mean, yeah, because you, obviously you don't know when it's coming. Uh, a couple of times you've taken away kind of all the senses, right? And that's that's really intense, really exciting, right? Right. And, yeah. and so I have a question. Where to from here? Because I think it's important for all of us humans in our evolution, whether, you know, in, in various areas of our life, whether it be a sexual evolution uh, within ourselves, right? Or, or um, the evolution of, of um, you know, m- learning to play music or whatever it is. Like uh, whenever we, whenever a human delves into certain things, I think that we all need to figure out like where our own limits are and, and make sure that we keep ourselves in check um, in order to sustain ourselves. So I think it's really important that we maintain like a bit of, uh, for lack of a better word, an equilibrium as to not go too far. I know within the last, you know, few scenes, like I've sort of dialed it back a little bit because I, I find it to be important. Um, and and I, it felt that you maybe agreed with that because does this make sense to keep ourselves in check? Because I find that if a person gets too far into a fetish and things you keep going down a rabbit hole, then like where's where's the end, mm. right? And and I find that yeah. part of my job is is being able to determine where the end, you know, could possibly be for you, and yet have me and you still be satisfied is would you agree yeah i think it's important to we were tending to i think from my side of things we were tending just to go back to the same same scene almost every single time where we played Mm -hmm. um where there is like we just talked about we went in now into sensory deprivation more and stuff you can still inflict the control and you can still inflict it. like for me a lot of it is to do with the pain and the torture for sure mm-hmm. um but taking away that control and stuff we were still doing that but we got away from the, our regular sort of stand-up sort of scenes um which i enjoyed because it was something different to get there it's um we don't want to end up with because you're also playing for, for for fun and you like doing it too we all mm-hmm. like doing that so we want to kind of keep it interesting right mm-hmm. um so, yeah, like doing it in different ways, like on a medical bed or we on or, or going on to a bench or if you have a bench or a spanking bench or something like that, something different. We tended to almost use just like the, the cross all the time, mm-hmm. um, which is great. It was, which was fun because we we found a a way which we could really release there. But it's also interesting now that we, like we said, we're exploring and we're going into other areas where we're still sort of getting the same sort of releases. Um, 
while experiencing the type of fetishes that I enjoy. Yeah. And again, for all you listeners, by release, we don't mean coming. <laughs> that's not what we mean. <laughs> that's not what this is. I know how a lot of you think, and that's not what that means. Not in this instance, you guys. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to roll this into something else, and then I'm going to circle it back to uh, specific fetishes of yours. But, but um, I, I want to touch on some more on um, taking fetishes too far and keeping ourselves in check, because that's really important. Um, so what happens, I'm going to get into the neuroscience of it all. Um, what happens when uh, we're young and our fetishes are first, uh, usually it's in the prepubescence and early teen years when we develop our fetishes, um, when, you know, uh, because there's so many hormones, there's so many hormones all going on. And, and, uh, so let's take an example, like a boy is in class and he's aroused by seeing a girl's feet class, right? And he feels he's getting a boner. Um, and, and maybe some other kids notice and they laugh. So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, uh, the, what, what gets implanted into this boy's head is um, feet are turn on and uh, so is humiliation. And so, and then that starts to grow and develop along with him. And the more the boy turns older and older, he's, you know, he's endeavoring into this idea. And, uh, and then you sort of create this feedback loop. So you watch the things that intrigue you and, you, and your brain starts to process this as this is my fetish. And then you, it goes down the line from there. Um, I've said that our fetishes pick us, that we don't pick our fetish. But I want to recant that somewhat right now. Um, because there are some fetishes that are disturbing. And maybe what we're talking about in this podcast is disturbing. And that's okay. This is not a work podcast. This is for adults only. This is an adult sexual education podcast. <laughs> not safe for work. So maybe uh, the fetish we're talking about has gone too far. And that's okay. Everybody's allowed to have, you know, their opinion. And that's totally okay. Now, if you happen to be one of those people who is endeavoring into a fetish that you think possibly has gone too far, there's a way to stop that. There's a way to stop that. And it's to start looking at something different, Every time you think about the fetish that uh, you're into and you may have thought, you may not like it, you may have thought it's gone too far, you've got to retrain your brain to like something else. So you've got to start watching something else. Or every time you start thinking about that one thing, you've got to start endeavoring into another fetish maybe to replace it. Um, because you can change your fetish somewhat. Um the brain is a computer. It is a computer. So you can train it. And, um, and so let's say you've gone too far down the rabbit hole with, I don't know, cockhold or something like that and fetish or sissification. And you just don't want to 
you just don't want to get into that anymore. Like, these are just examples. Uh, there's a way, there's a way to recreate uh, what it, what your fetish is to a certain ex- degree where you can create um, a different feedback loop. Um, and you can just kind of put the pause button or hold button, try to like mute a little bit of that fetish and, and, and get a, start to get aroused by something else, but you have to stop yourself from watching or doing more of that fetish. Um, so I just, I just wanted to provide some insight on this, um, for all of you people out there, because I, I feel like I also needed to correct myself actually in a way, um, because I have been toting, um, you know, the saying that you can't pick your fetish, your fetish picks you. And that is true to an extent, uh, but not always true. And uh, it's not forever. Uh, if you really, really don't want it to be. Okay. So if you're into some illegal fetishes, uh, you've got to find a way to stop yourself, right? And there is a way. And uh, speaking of CBT, <laughs> standing for cognitive behavioral therapy, that is actually a way to get yourself out of the particular proclivity maybe you don't want to be attached to anymore. Um, So yeah, just a little bit of a cautionary note out there, or an educational note uh, for those of you who may need it. Um, Now, back to the fetishes that we like around here right now. (laughs) And we're damn proud of it too. Damn proud of it. Um, So... When I'm tying you up and um, and we're and we're slapping you and doing some nipple torture and electro torture and you not like you just being unaware and un- and not being able to anticipate things, um, do you ever like I'm I'm gonna like I'm sort of gonna go over this again. Does your mind ever go to anywhere else? Because that was a blanket statement that I did say earlier. Like you're not thinking about anything else, but. Like when you're in a scene and it's kind of crazy. Does your no, mind? Your, your, mind doesn't. your mind doesn't really wonder. It's no. there because you, you're waiting for the anticipation. You don't know what's coming next. So you're in the present. Yeah. You're not thinking about 20 different topics. You're thinking about what's happening to you there then at the time. Isn't it bliss? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think... For me, it's, it's, as I said, like that to me, and I, the, the way I found it is through the, the, the kind of, I mean, if the right word of we allowed to use it, torture kind of scenes, right? Mm-hmm. It, in, and the pain kind of scenes is kind of where I find it, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, and that brings me to the present. I find that if, it, if I didn't get that, that sort of feeling from it, then I'm not kind of present at the time, right? It's just, it just helps me clear my mind. Um, and that's where I'm at with it, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm happy to provide that space, yeah. you know, because you are a different person, you know, after a session than you are before a session. Definitely, like, when you usually arrive for a session, like, even the color of your skin is just a different color. Yeah. Um, like, you know, people's blood pressure often is pretty high when people come see me, and when they when they leave... I can see, like, they're just, people, uh, there's a lot of stress hormones that are released, yes, for sure, but uh, there's there's a lot of hormones that are re- released that are blissful, 
you know, serotonin and, and dopamine and all of that good stuff, those neurotransmitter chemicals, and it's just so great. We talked about a dom in a sub-high in the past. We'll talk about it again. Um, there's um, a high, like a real euphoric high that happens for dominatrixes uh, when they're in session and they love what they do. Um, and that also happens for submissives where, um, you know, there's anticipation before the session and then there's, uh, there's a lot of anticipation and, and fear and, <laughs> and, uh, just, uh, yeah. And in the moment sort of meditation during the session and afterwards it's, it's your real euphoric feeling. And then there's a crash. <laughs> crash typically happens when, when do you say for you? A couple hours or? Um, probably, yeah, I would say at least, or maybe even the next day, depending on, depending on like what, what when we session. So, mm. um, I would say at least for five hours, probably after the session, that's, that's kind of when you, you kind of lose the high of it. If, um, and then you kind of come back to reality, reality almost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say that's, uh, it can go, yeah, it depends on, on what we went through and all that sort of stuff in the session um, and how intense it was, um, what we ended up playing with. There's a lot that goes into that for me um, about where, where we can, where we end up in a couple of, like whether it's a couple of hours or whether it could even be the next day, right? Right. Um, but it really depends on what type, well, how we ended up on the session or what type of session we ended up on, right? And also maybe it also depends on my mood, like obviously your mood or your day, right? Yeah. Like the day that you're sessioning or whatever, it depends on what's happened that day too, right? So For sure. And it's all kind of in the mental state, which you've talked about a lot, right? And uh -huh. that's especially where it is for me too, right? Um, I think it's pretty fundamental that aftercare is implemented i mean i'm not i'm not a, i'm not super huge on aftercare so aftercare uh within my world if you are a newcomer um in this in this scenario i mean usually i'll offer you water i'll ask if you're okay you know ask if you need the shower yeah um yeah um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that especially after like a session where, you know, I mummify or mummify you or, or, you know, tie you down. If there's like a lot of sweat, and blood, <laughs> that sort of thing, you know, I, I'll take extra time to like really check in with you. And would you say that's pretty important to you? Um, yeah, I Sorry, I, I'm just thinking about the question. Um, Aftercare. Yeah. yeah, I mean... I'm not huge on it, though. Yeah, no, not... I would say it's, it's not hugely important to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, you do offer what you've just uh, said. Um, but for me, it's not hugely important. I think it comes down... Like, aftercare is... A, for me, no, not so much. But I think there are more sensitive um kind of uh fetishes out there that might want a bit more yeah. than 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 that 
But for me, it's yeah. For me, it's the adrenaline that comes out of the session, right? Yeah. It's not so much like once that that yeah. Yeah. For me, it's almost got to be. <laughs> we could go forever, kind of thing, right? Yeah, we, we've yeah. almost got to stop, like, and, and reel myself back in. That's probably more more important uh, than anything. Uh, than more than aftercare, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm I just I'm a savage. I'm not like I'm not super big on it. I mean, I mm. want to make sure you're okay, of course. So I check in with you a bunch, but I'm not likely to give some. <laughs> I'm not going to be snuggling any of my clients <laughs> after a session. Um, you know, I, I it's a good it's a good idea for doms and you know who know what they're doing to you know, do things like uh, if there's a sweaty session or, you know, if somebody is dehydrated, offer them some crackers or um, some water, Gatorade or something like that, or even chocolate to get those like electrolytes up. After a session, um, I've had some people get really dizzy in session. Um, It's just like huge. It's just a huge adrenaline rush. So it's pretty important that uh, sub eats, you know, like not right before a session, but you know, a few hours prior to, unless of course, maybe they want to get pegged. In that case, I would like you to not eat anything at all <laughs> for the day and use an enema. But anyway, I digress because that's not the topic of this, of, of this scenario we're talking about here, of this type of scene. So um, is there anything you'd like to add in, I think, in just in closing, like it could be anything think, at all. I think in general, I mean, we've talked about it quite a bit, yeah, and we talked, like, uh, and you've also talked it quite a bit in your previous podcasts and all that. And it's just trying to get people to realize that it's not, it's it's it, the fetishes that we are dealing with, and the, well, the reasons why you kind of, especially for me, this is coming from my side of things. People might disagree with what I'm about to say, but it's it's like we've talked about. It's a mental state of release in the way I can get there. Yes, there is kind of there's always going to be because of what's happening. There is kind of a sexual aspect to whatever's happening, um, but it's not. That's not the release that we're coming to look for, like we've discussed before. And I think a lot of misconceptions are out there that you come in thus. You're coming to see Adam for a sexual favor, and there's a lot of information out on the internet. If you're Googling and stuff, and you will see sexual acts happening between doms and subs. It's important to realize that those are probably initiated by the dom himself, not the sub. Uh, so I think it's important for people to understand the roles of a dominatrix and the roles of you being a sub to that dominatrix, to that dom. Um, and that you shouldn't be going there or shouldn't be contacting them if you're looking for sexual favors. That's the job of some other professions. So I don't know whether I've said that in the right way or not, but so you've got to be there. If she chooses to have that type of session with you, then you're lucky enough. But that's the doms or the dominatrix choice to initiate that type of session with you as the sub. It's not a given that you're going to come and receive sexual favors from a dominatrix or a dom um, relationship. I just wanted to kind of put that out there because you do find a lot of stuff online with it. And that's kind of a misconception. 
And if you find a true sub or a true person that's into fetish, it's it's not a sexual release, it's the mind release that pe- that I feel people are looking for. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know whether you agree with what I I, I agree 100%. I agree 100%. Um, and uh, studies have indicated, multiple studies have indicated that typically highly higher intelligence and BDSM, you know, people are higher in intelligence uh, tend to be towards BDSM. It's, it's a psychological game. Um, yeah, I mean, it helps that, you know, I'm regarded as beautiful and, and uh, naturally dominate, dominant by most, but it's not a requirement that I be beautiful. Um, I think it's more of a requirement that uh, I have a skill set and that I'm uh, dominant uh, more than anything. Um, so when you're looking for a dominatrix, look for somebody who has experience, has an online presence, you know, has been in the industry for a bit. Uh, not always, like that last component. I mean, there are some newbies that happen to be lifestyle fetishes that, uh, you know, have become professionals. They have trained other doms. Um, but but for the most part, if you see a, some fly-by-night, you know, woman who you've never seen before, no name recognition and nothing, you know, you, you just don't know what you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to be safe. And, and, and furthermore, she doesn't know what this is. The BDSM is an art. Um, it does require intelligence. It requires me to think on my feet real quick and... You know, if somebody comes for something and maybe they change their mind and they want something else, like I, an hour with me isn't cheap. So, <laughs> so I want to make the most of people's time and uh, be conscientious and I want to have the most fun I can possibly have. So that's that. Um, it's vastly different than an escort. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> to add to that too is... It's important that, and you've said this before, it's always uh, sane and consensual with everything that happens in your sessions and stuff. And, and when you like searching for a dom, it's not just a one-side interview process. When you're going to meet them, you've yeah. got to really build the trust from both sides. Absolutely. So be very, very careful when you're choosing someone to perform the fetishes which you like on you uh, or engage in those type of activities. So... If you can, if you're gonna meet someone and you, you're not feeling it, well, then you need to don't go through with that with 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 that process. Move on. Uh, be able to stand up and move on from yourself and find someone that you're happy with and that you can converse and that you can trust. Because without the trust, you're not going to find uh, the releases that you want because you'll be too worried about other stuff that's going to be happening if you don't have the trust. Um, We've had a, this discussion before, uh, mistress, with um, about if you're having a safe word and you want to use a safe word, and then people will all of a sudden stop the session completely. Yeah. Um, whereas it might just be the activity that happened there and then that you disliked. It's not that you disliked the whole session or the whole thing that was going on. So there needs to be that trust where you can stop the session. Have a discussion and then move on for the remainder of your time with your session. As you just said, it's it's right. not it's not a cheap endeavor to in, in to encounter a dominatrix. Um, you don't go to a counseling session and start crying and then they will stop 
the counseling session and kick you out. So, 100%, yeah. uh, you need to kind of you, they, you need to kind of suss that out. So, if you're getting someone that does that to you, is that someone that you really want to engage in the fetish with? Because there's no trust there, right? Um, and you gotta you, you gotta enjoy the experience as much as she does, to uh, or or she or he or uh, as much as the dom does. So, yeah, be very careful with how you research and how you find yeah. um, someone to explore yeah. with. You just hit on gold right there. Like, that's so important. So important. Um, being a dominatrix isn't about... Like, I, there is a fetish for being a bully, for sure, you know. Um, but it, it's it's not about being a bitch that doesn't want to hear from you and doesn't want to hear what you have to... You know, like, we're all human. And, you know, this is play. So you know, I see a lot of these mentally ill people out there and mentally ill doms and they 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 have or maybe they're not maybe they're not maybe they're fine but they have a misconception regardless about what it is to be a dominatrix um being a dominatrix isn't about um uh you know treating people uh like absolute you know trash unless that's their fetish like um my it's it's important that my clients uh, feel that that they are able to be seen like really seen for the first time like really seen um people tell me their secrets and and i get thousands i get you know over the years hundreds or thousands of people coming to me and telling me secrets that they've never told anyone. And that's no trivial thing. Like, that that's a really huge honor for me. And, um, and to, to treat people like they're garbage, it, you know, if that's not their fetish, I, I just don't think that's, I don't think that's a valuable thing. Um, and I think that it muddies the waters of my business. I don't, I wish, you know, I wish it wasn't that way. Um, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again, you know, you need two years of schooling to cut hair, but yeah, any good for nothing, somebody can slap the prestigious title of dominatrix on themselves and, and then go about hitting and whacking and chaining and slapping and whipping, <laughs> suffocating and whatever else, uh, cutting, whatever else, um, people without any sort of license, um, certification. It's, um, it's a wacky little world, isn't it? Anyhow, on that note, if you'd like to learn more, um, I will be coming out with more podcasts and uh, I'm also going to be uh, launching my dominatrix course coming up here. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I'm around for some sessions in a couple months. I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus here. So uh, prior to then, I'm available for online sessions. I can be found um, under Domina Ava Savage on everything, um, except for Instagram. I want to I'm Domina Ava Savage one, the number one. But uh yeah, Domina Ava Savage dot com, Domina Ava Savage at gmail dot com, Domina 
Domina Ava Savage, everything on everything. Thanks for joining me, and uh, we out. Bye.